Good morning, River West Church family. My name is Christopher. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It is so great to be with you all, to worship with you all together. This last Sunday, as we had an opportunity to come together in a physical gathering for the first time in six months, as people showed up to worship in their cars and on top of their cars, and yes, some running amok outside of their cars, roguely defying our request to stay in your car and hugging people. I loved it all. It did my soul so good to see all of you that I've missed so much that our entire pastoral team has prayed for to physically be able to lift up the hope of the gospel and worship together. And I'm so glad wherever you're at, whoever you are, as you're introducing yourself online and tuning in this morning, it's an absolute privilege to be able to open the scriptures with you all this morning. And I have the joy this morning of talking about an issue that is at the core of who I am, a topic and an issue that I'm constantly thinking about, dreaming about, some might say obsessing about and sharing about with whoever will listen, namely Jesus and his mission for his church. You see, through my role as a mission pastor over the last 13 years at River West, I have had the incredible humbling honor and joy of getting to see divine moments and stories as this community has showed up in faith, in generosity and love. And we just heard one of those amazing stories from one of my dearest friends and one of our ministry partners, Because People Matter, my friend Marshall, as he shared with me that to date, over 4,000 of these sack lunches or over 7,000 of the sack lunches, over 4,000 of these hot meals cooked in our kitchen go down into camps in our city where people are displaced right now, homeless and in need of love and compassion. The fact that I've seen our church as you have River West at each critical moment of pain over the years, you've showed up to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Look at me. Thank you. Thank you for being the church, not just tuning in and attending, but by faith in the midst of a global pandemic, thank you for being the church. I want you to know, and this is one of my central convictions as both a pastor and a leader is, I believe there's truly nothing more beautiful more compelling, more powerful than a church that's fully committed, totally sold out to living Jesus' mission in our broken world. Show me a missional church, a church that's sold out on Jesus' mission, and I'll show you a church that's brimming over with divine moments, miracles, and amazing stories like the one that we just heard this morning of lives that have come into contact with the transforming, reconciling love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But on the other hand, show me a missionless church and I'll show you a church that is dead or dying. A community where joy and passion and gospel vision and earnest prayer are on short supply. In the end, there is nothing more tragic 
than a church that has lost sight of the mission that it has been sent by Jesus to accomplish and live out by faith in our world. As the Swiss theologian, Emil Brunner famously put it, I love this quote. He said, the church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. So when the mission of Christ is removed from the church, the church drifts into becoming a lukewarm, lesser iteration of the community that Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But let me ask you this. If, this, if Jesus is building his church right now, in the midst of so much unrest and uncertainty, if Jesus Christ is making these words come to pass in our world and he's building his church, which I believe, which we believe, what is his church being built for? Put another way, what is the purpose that Christ is building his church? Friends, right here today, I want you to know something that in the midst of the chaos and the unrest and the uncertainty that's marked 2020, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior is building his church and no pandemic, no opposition, no power of hell will ever prevail or prevent our Savior from accomplishing this building project because the church with all of its foibles and flaws imperfections is still and will forever be God's primary mission strategy to put our broken world right. So today, as we continue our series that we're calling, I will build my church based out of Christ's word of promise, we're gonna learn what this mission strategy is by camping on one of my favorite gospel stories in John chapter 20. So wherever you are, feel free to hit the pause button right now, fill up your coffee, break up a fight between kids in your house and tune with me, if you would, to John chapter 20. We're gonna dive in at verse 19. This is God's word. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, of all the gospel scenes and stories in the New Testament, I honestly can't think of any that are more pertinent and relevant to the times that we're living in today than this passage in John 20. 
I want you for a moment, just imagine the scene with me. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior has been crucified. These disciples have witnessed his horrific public execution and they're not going into their homes waiting for Christ's promise to come to pass that he would defeat death and rise from the dead, which he promised to his disciples over and over again. So nobody in the room that day was expecting Jesus to show up. Instead, they're in full lockdown mode and they're royally freaking out. In fact, John tells us that the doors were locked and barred shut because they were terrified. And honestly, who could blame them? After watching their leader, their rabbi and friend nailed to a brutal Roman cross, deep down, the disciples had to wonder if they were going to be next. And then without warning or even a knock at the door, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord shows up right in the midst of their deepest fears and their dashed hopes and their lockdown. Jesus comes and he brings three things that transformed these timid disciples into fearless missionaries. So if you're taking notes today, here's the three things I want you to see that Christ gives not only to the fearful disciples in this story, but three things that he wants to impart to us today as a church. And the three things are this, his peace, his purpose, and his power. Peace, purpose, and power. Now, as we'll see, each of these three things is essential to the church's ability to live Jesus' mission out both then and now today in 2020 in our context. So let's start by looking at how Christ promises and pronounces his peace over the disciples. So first thing first, when Christ shows up in this story, before he sends or empowers his fearful, timid disciples to go out into the world, into the trenches, come out from locked doors and go into the world, into all nations with his mission and message in hand first, he speaks a word of peace to still their anxious hearts. And for perhaps you noticed it in this passage, not once, but actually twice Christ pronounces peace over his disciples. If you look at it in verse 19, we see the first peace. He says, peace be with you. Those are the first words that these fearful disciples heard from their risen Lord, friend and rabbi Jesus is peace be with you. And as he showed his side and his hand where he had been pierced, the greatest understatement in the New Testament, John says that the disciples were glad when they see Jesus. Their anxiety turns to joy. But then Jesus again pronounces peace in verse 21. He says, peace be with you. Before he sends them, before he promises them power, first comes this pronouncement of peace. Now, when you and I, we hear the word peace, 
We hear Jesus coming and saying, peace be with you. We tend to associate peace with either feelings of tranquility, inner feelings of, of tranquility, or the absence of conflict. However, the biblical concept of peace is far richer than our everyday connotations that we typically associate with peace. In fact, I love how one of my favorite authors, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., captures the sense of the Hebrew term for peace, shalom, in the following quote from a book entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Listen to how he defines this biblical concept of peace. He puts it this way. Peace is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation Injustice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew process prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and the creatures in whom he delights. Now listen to this. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Brothers and sisters, When you turn on the evening news and take in what's happening all across our nation in this moment, let me ask you, is is there anything that Jesus could give that the world more desperately needs right now in our moment, in this moment, than this kind of peace? This last week, once again, we read, witnessed a horrific death, death of an unarmed black man, Jacob Blake from Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was shot in the back seven times in front of his children. Apparently, as they're piecing this story together, the USA Today is saying that he was trying to break up a fight, a domestic abuse, a domestic fight. He was shot seven times in the back. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. Now I know for some of you that are watching as protests and riots continue to spill over into the streets all across our nation, something deep within you is welling up and crying out for shalom, for peace, because things are not the way that they're supposed to be. However, for many others that are watching, when you see stories like this, something deep within you wells up. Anger, a cry for justice, a righting of wrongs, because there can be no peace without justice. And things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Likewise, I know 
that some of you who are tuning in today are afraid and may even feel like the disciples in John 20 who barred the door shut out of fear for their own lives and their well-being. And I understand that and have had all of those moments, all of those reactions over the last six months. Friends today, regardless of what you're feeling in this moment or where you're at, I want you to know something. There is only one leader who can bring a peace that heals wounds and divisions, a peace that causes justice to roll down like mighty waters, a peace that makes broken things whole, a peace that all creation is groaning for, that will one day result in universal flourishing delight as the presence of God covers our earth as water covers the sea and his name is Jesus, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. The peace that Jesus gives, it's utterly unique. It's miraculous peace. It's divine peace. It's something that no political party or social program apart from Jesus Christ through his church can bring about. It's in fact only something, and listen to this, because this is staggering, but I believe it's true. This kind of peace that Jesus says, peace be with you. I want my peace to be yours. It's only something that can be experienced fully within the miracle of Christian community. Let me tell you why I believe that, why that is a central deep conviction. It's because of something Christ said, one of the most staggering claims Christ ever made in John 14. So turn to the left in John's gospel, go to chapter 14 and look at this claim, this promise that Christ makes in verse 27. We'll put it up on the screen. Peace I leave with you, shalom I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I wonder as the fearful disciples were freaking out and barring the door shut, if they forgot this promise because their hearts seemed troubled. They seemed very afraid. I think they had lost touch with Jesus' peace, what it means actually to be a community of peace. River West Church, the risen Lord Jesus himself has left us his peace for a divine missional purpose. Not just to ease and still our own hearts, but there's a missional purpose attached to the peace that he's left us. And here's what it is. The church is meant to be a place where the peace of Christ is put on display for the world, for the watching world, for our hurting world. The church is meant to be a community of imperfect people who love Jesus and one another so radically with hearts filled with peace that our troubled world can't help but take notice and say, that's the way that things ought to be. That's the kind of community of peace that Jesus has called his church to be. Can I get an amen? 
or an awkward praise hand emoji in the comments section, whatever you've got. If you're with me, say amen. Now, as we come back to this beautiful, poignant scene in John chapter 20, we'll see that the peace that Jesus gives, it propels his church into mission to fulfill Christ's purposes on earth by the Spirit's power. So let's take a look now after we look at how Jesus comes and he pronounces and gives and leaves his peace. He brings secondly, his purpose to the disciples. And the order is important. First comes peace and then Christ brings with his peace, a purpose. It's a peace with a purpose. Look at verse 21 in John 20. It says, In verse 21, John tells us, Jesus said to them again, this is the second pronouncement of peace, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. According to Jesus, not me, but Jesus, the church is not meant to exist for its own mission and purpose. Rather, the church is sent into the world to carry out Christ's mission and Christ's purposes. That's what Jesus is trying to impress upon his leaders, these disciples, when he tells them, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Jesus' mission is meant to be the church's mission. But sadly, throughout the centuries, the church has often substituted Christ's mission for our own social agenda, preferences, programs, and purposes. However, whenever Jesus' mission is left behind for other lesser priorities or even good programs, the church becomes an ineffectual, inwardly focused community that makes little or no lasting impact for Jesus Christ in the world. As a pastor and leader, I want you to know that I'm constantly praying and asking a question that often sits heavy with me. A question that I carry around and ask every single day. And the question goes like this. Are we doing Christ's mission? Or are we drifting? Are we drifting off course from Christ's mission? Are we aligned with the things that he has sent us to do or not? Last week, our family, we got away for a glorious nine-day sanity-restoring, soul-renewing time of being unplugged. We needed rest. I had no idea, no idea in all of the chaos of our COVID experience, how much my soul needed rest. Um, It was a wonderful time away. The Lord showed up. Um, in some, some awesome ways. Just like Jesus showed up in the midst of his disciples, there were moments where Christ showed up. Uh, moments I'll never forget. 
And one of those, uh, we went out one day um, and we took some crab pots uh, and we wanted to go catch some crab out near Astoria. And so we loaded up crab pots in, in my boat and, and went out in, in the morning with the hopes of catching some crab and cooking a crab dinner. And as we went out, I could tell way, way off on the horizon that fog was rolling in. What I didn't know is how fast the fog would roll in as we set these crab pots. Without warning, the fog rolled in and we were completely disoriented. And some of the most dangerous waters in the Columbia River, for those that know, this is the most dangerous bar in the world out there with, with my kids, with, with my family, with friends dropping these crab pots. And, and fog comes in that was so dense, I just couldn't even see past the tip of my boat. In that moment, I pulled out my GPS, a GPS device that, that I trust in moments like this to tell me where I'm at and to help me navigate through obstacles and find my way back to the port that we left. And I got to tell you and go on record, I would be floating right now in the Pacific Ocean or I would have been a news story apart from this device that reoriented me, alerted me of danger and helped me navigate back to safe harbor. Now, here's the reason I tell you that story. Leading and following Christ in the midst of COVID is a lot like navigating your way through a dense fog. With so many pressures, pain points, political ideologies and opinions all around us, it's never been easier to lose sight of what the church's true north and mission is. Thankfully, friends, we have a trusted instrument we can look to, the scriptures and the gospel accounts, which give us a spirit-inspired, clear window into the life and ministry of Jesus. Now hear this, in every age, irrespective of all other reference points, ideologies, or opinions, if you want to know what the church's mission is, the best way to do that is by looking intently and prayerfully at what Jesus did and said in the gospels, the life of Christ. And I want to take some time now and just give you two, two windows in to a summary account of what Jesus went around and did during his life and ministry. From Matthew's gospel, I want you to look at this and pay attention to this description of Christ's mission because these are summary statements in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 4, 23, we read, and he, that is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This summary statement of Christ's ministry was so centrally important that Matthew impresses it upon his readers again. In Matthew chapter 9, we have other summary statements in the Gospels, but listen again. Matthew tells us that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages doing the two same things teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, 
of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. Christ, Christ went around the mission he was sent by the father to do was to declare the gospel, the good news of God's reign and plan to reconcile our broken world. He went around declaring that with his words and demonstrating the same gospel, the same good news and reconciling love through his deeds, through miracles, through healings. Here at River West, we call it the two hands of gospel ministry, declaration and demonstration, pro proclamation and acts of compassion. Now I want you to connect the dots and this is absolutely critical. That was Jesus' mission. And many times we focus in sermons and as a church, what, what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, as the father sent me to do these two things, declare the gospel and demonstrate the gospel through love, I'm sending you. And in Luke chapter nine, we have an account, a sending passage in Luke nine, verses one and two. Look at what Jesus sends his disciples to do. The two hands. He called the 12 together, gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and sent them to proclaim the gospel and heal. River West Church, this is a defining moment for us as a community. I want you to know this. The mission that Jesus has sent us to carry out right here and now is to bear witness to the reality of the gospel through our lips and through our loving deeds, to declare the gospel to all nations and to demonstrate that gospel through our love to our broken world. Now, if that task sounds daunting, and I hope it does, because it is, it's because this is not something that you and I were ever meant to carry out or accomplish or do in our own power. So breathe, feel the weight and responsibility of Jesus, our risen Lord, showing up and telling you, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, come to the end of yourself and listen to this. You were never meant to live as a representative of Jesus and be his follower and witness to our world on your own in your own strength and ingenuity, your ideas, your resilience, you were never sent into the world to do this mission on your own. We need his power. So this is the final thing that Jesus gives his disciples. First comes his pronouncement of peace. Then he clarifies and empowers them with his purpose, passes that on. And lastly, he gives us his Power. Look at John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Again, it tells us, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus entered that room and sent his timid, anxious disciples out on mission. He knew that these fearful, anxious leaders would never be able to do what he was asking them apart from his supernatural power. 
So we breeze on them. It's an act of creation. It's supposed to remind us of God, how he breathed life into our nostrils and we became a living being in Genesis. It's actually a new Genesis account. It's, it's, I can't even go into the beauty and power of this. Jesus breathed them, the very life of God into these fearful disciples and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit, my power. So you can fulfill by faith and through my power, my purposes on the earth. You know, friends, I've never realized this before, but this came home for me this week in, in all of the post-resurrection encounters that Jesus' disciples had with their risen savior. He actually tells them in each of these accounts over and over again, not to embark on their mission until they received the Holy Spirit's power. Because he knew that it would take actually an infusement of supernatural power for his disciples, his people, his church to live out this mission. I want you to look at Luke chapter 24, how Luke ends his gospel. He tells us this. It says, thus it is written that the Christ, this, this is Jesus speaking, saying that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You're my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Fast forward to the book of Acts. <laughs> the disciples, what are they doing? They're staying in Jerusalem. They've made the connection. They know these same disciples right here, they know that they cannot fulfill this mission without being clothed with power from on high, without receiving Christ's power that sustained him and allowed him to declare the gospel, to resist opposition and remain faithful, to, to love those on the fringes, even though Christ was, was misunderstood and attacked because of the way that he associated himself with the poor and with the outcast. The disciples know in order to be sent to do this mission, they need Christ's power. And so Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Folks, to be vulnerable with you in this moment, one of the central lessons the Lord has been teaching me over the last six months is how utterly powerless I am apart from the Holy Spirit's help on a daily basis, I need the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but there's been countless moments where I felt clueless. I felt confused. I felt afraid like the disciples. There have certainly been days where I've given into my fears and my worries, my insecurities, and I've wanted to hide behind locked doors like the disciples in this story. But what I love about Jesus is he's always showing up in our moments of weakness with grace. There's been moments, so many, where I've come to the end of myself 
And Christ has breathed hope. He's breathed supernatural peace. He's breathed courage and power into my life. And friends, as you're watching, I believe he wants to step into the midst of whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're fearing, whatever you're anxious about, whatever's holding you back from what Christ has called you to do. I believe our Savior and Lord, it wants to come with grace. He's standing in our midst. He's building his church. And River West, this is our defining moment. Will we be the church that Christ has called us to be? Will we take his gospel out from behind locked doors into the streets? Will we demonstrate his love to those that desperately need it right now? I pray by God's grace that we can enter in to this moment and find strength and hope and power to rise up to this moment. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I believe, Lord, that you are in our midst this morning, Lord, that you want to unlock some doors and hearts, Lord, that are afraid right now. Lord, that are trying to shut out uh, the, the chaos and, and shut out things that make us fearful but so often, Lord, when we shut the door, we shut out, Father, your peace and your power and your presence. Father, today, I believe you're knocking on the doors of some hearts and, and you want us to open the door and let you in. Um, Father, how we need you to breathe your peace over our fearful hearts. Lord, and infuse us Lord, with your divine purpose, share your very heart with us. Give us your Holy Spirit so that we, by your grace and for your glory, might be your church for the world in this moment. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord. I'll come back here in a moment and lead us in communion. But let's turn our eyes to the goodness of our Lord Jesus, who's with us today.